So let's take a look. Obviously, today's title is The Best Time Is Now, right? Best Time Is Now. And as we think on, uh, you'll see what I mean by that here in just a minute. But we've been in this series called The Strength to Overcome. And if you're not clear with it yet, it's a, it's, you're going you're gonna to be real clear today. Uh, because I'm going to let you see a lot of things within these Beatitudes and what they look like uh, that Jesus shared. And, um, and we've, I just want to do a little bit of a recap over where we've been over the past weeks. And I, again, when you, when you begin to put these together, for some of you, it's going to dawn on you and say, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Some of you already may know. But, but when we walk through these, the Jesus' baptism, very beginning, when we talked about the strength to overcome, Basically, it's the strength to live the life that he has called us to live, right? Because so many times people will say to me, you know, I just don't think that, that won't, that don't, that so I'm, no, I can't become a believer because I just, I just don't have what it takes to be able to, to, to live the way he's called me to live. And I definitely don't want to be a hypocrite. And they use that as an excuse. But in reality, that's a very good thing when you can see that you can't do it because that's what the strength or the strength to live comes from trusting him. So if you can see those things, then that's a very, that's a that's very, very powerful thing. Don't let you keep it from him because you can't live up to something. Why? Because none of us can. That was the first week we talked about. We talked about Solomon the very first week. We talked about Solomon. He messed up. You know, he tried to go try to find what he's looking for, right, uh, in other things other than God. And, and, and he just, his appetites got so large that they couldn't be filled, right? And, uh, and he wound up being real pessimistic and real almost fatalistic. And he would say things like, you know, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, that kind of thing. But that's what happens when you go, you have unlimited resources, and you can do anything you want to when you, as you take a swan dive into Pleasureville, to try to find some kind of meaning, and in reality, it just your your want to just gets so big, your need gets so big because those things were never meant. They were never meant to fill those places. You're going to see it. This is what we talked about the very first week, and then we walk down through Jesus's beatitudes. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, blessed are those, Jesus said, that can see it. All of us are poor in spirit because the scripture says that all of us are sinners, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. And so all of us are sinners, but nobody likes to talk about that today, right? But if you'll hang with me today with this thought, you'll begin to see, well, this is right, okay? But again, it's not blessed are those that are poor in spirit because all of us are, but blessed are those who can see it, okay? Blessed are those who can see that that they're, they're bankrupt, right? That becomes the picture. And, uh, and so once, once you see it, and then obviously the next week was, was Lord, I can't, I can't do it. And there's, there's a, I have found that when we understand who God is that created us, is it breaks our heart, the things that break his heart. And that's the blessed of those that mourn, right? And so we talked about those things that I'm, I'm basically bankrupt. I'm powerless to do what he's called me to do. And, um, and then number three was, was the meek, blessed are the meek. And that's those who, who, who basically say, say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to commit my life to you. I'm going to turn my life and will over to your care, becomes the picture. Lord, I'm yours. 
And the meek becomes, the, the meek, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth. The meek thought is that is, is not weakness, it's, it's power under control. Therefore, a horse many times is called meek when it's able to be ridden and take instructions from the, from the rider, right? But uh, I don't know if you've ever been on the back of a horse who will not take instructions from the rider. It's a dangerous thing, okay? It's definitely unnerving. And so, but that becomes the picture of me, that Lord, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, Lord, it's about you. So as we follow down there, committing my life and will over to him, that begins to make sense to us. Keep following with me here. All right, number four is to take an honest look at yourself, which is the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. What are the pure in heart? Because it says they'll see God. We talked about this. And, uh, and, and we took great care at, at saying, you know, talking about those verses, search me, O oh God. Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be, Right? Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then as he reveals it to it, the desire is to get those things out of my life. So it's taking an honest look, uh, taking an honest look uh, at ourselves, which comes to today, uh, which is the blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Therefore, it becomes the appetites you create in this life will determine a whole lot. Okay? And then the appetite you choose not to feed will determine a whole lot of who you are. We'll get to that in just a minute. But guys, as we walk down through these, I don't know, some of you have picked up on it because you've already come by. Probably most haven't because you haven't been through this. But I don't know if any of you are familiar. We'll see if there are any that are familiar with. That doesn't mean you've been through them because it is anonymous, right? But if you've ever heard of the 12 steps, right? Let me see your hand if you've even heard of them. Okay, they're commonly known as AA, right? Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Narcotics Anonymous, but there's, a, there's 12 steps. Now, in case you don't know what they are, all right, the first one is I'm powerless, right? Step four is to take a searching inventory of who you are. You see, these 12 steps come straight from Jesus' Beatitudes. Most people don't even see it. Don't even realize it. And yet the way that Jesus is sharing with us how we live our lives, I find it amazing. These become the same steps that people use to get over or to get the hooks of alcohol or some other kind of a, a drug out from them, right? Incredible. So Lord, I'm going to turn my life and will over to you. Okay. Then I'm going to take a look at myself, Lord, and I want to get rid of those things in my life that are not where they're supposed to be. If any of you ever followed this, I have taught the 12 steps before um, at Celebrate Recovery, and I have been amazed at their incredible, the, the problem with it today, and I don't mind being very blunt with you, but the problem they have today, if you go to a normal 12-step program, they've stolen the power from it because turning your wife and will over to God, and then it says, as you see God. Therefore, you can just make up whoever you want your God to be, right? And you turn your life and will over to him. That's when it loses its power because you're trusting in whatever you want it to be as opposed to who he is. But when you walk down through these Beatitudes, it's the way he's called us to live as believers, right? Seeing who we are, poor in spirit, right? So where, where did those struggles come from? 
Paul put it best in the Romans passage I had you turn to. Let's take a look at it. Paul, look look, look at this. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. That is God's commands. But I am of the flesh. I'm sold to understand. This is Paul talking. And listen to this. He says, but I don't understand my own actions. Anybody ever been there? You don't have to admit to it. But anybody ever been there? I don't know. I tell you what, for years and years, I don't ask this question anymore, right? But I used to always ask, you know, when I would, because I spent a lot of time talking with people. At first, 20-something, 25 years ago, it was with teenagers. And then after that, I started working with everybody, right? And, and I, I've talked to a lot of people through the years. And I used to, at the beginning, I would ask the question, why? Why did you do that? And you know what the answer was 98% of the time? Oh. So I stopped asking it. All right? Because even Paul didn't understand. Right? Even Paul said, for I don't understand my own actions. In other words, I don't know why I do what I do. Because it's not what I want to do, but it seems to always take me in the wrong direction. Right? For I do not do what I want, but it's the very thing I hate. That's what I keep doing. You know, and he goes on to say, now if I want, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that's good, all right? So now it is no longer I who that does it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. So Paul said, there's a new nature that lives in me. Therefore, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you. I've turned over you, but there's still an old nature that's battling against me. I mean, there's still the, the struggles that go on on the inside. And they're battling against one another. If you read the rest of this passage, Paul goes on to say, oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, am I sick or what? I've got these battles going on inside. Interesting, huh? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is Paul talking. Now, I want to ask you a question. Please don't answer this out loud. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that nothing good dwells in you? Don't say anything. I found that our culture is trying to teach you the exact opposite. Oh, you're just almost perfect. You got a few little flaws because nobody's perfect, but you're almost perfect. Well, that's not what the scripture says. I've found it's in those areas of understanding what bankruptcy mean to where the most truth lies. In fact, most people don't really see that. Most people won't even admit to it, right? Most people find this offensive in our culture. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, in my sinful nature, is what Paul is saying here. For I have a desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what I should. But there's something that keeps, you know, it keeps coming up, right? Right? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing, Right? So he goes on to talk about this. Where, what is that all about? Where does that come in? Now, hang with me here at the beginning because this will really help in understanding the Beatitudes because this one's a pivotal one, right? This one's pivotal. This hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And you'll see in just a minute what I mean, all right? So let's take a look. Is Where do these things come from, right? Where do these things, where do these, we're going to call them defects, all right? You can call them, if you, if you want to make a little more politically correct form of it, um, where do my struggles come from? 
or where do, you know, where, where do my I, struggles is probably it. But where, where, where do these things, where do these things come from? Where, where, where is it that, I mean, sometimes it's like, do I have a split personality? This battle going on inside me? What, what's the, where does all that come from, right? This poor in spirit, this bankrupt, this sin, whatever you want to call it. He says, it's no longer I, but it's the sin that lives in him, is what Paul said. So what is he talking about? Where do, where do these things come from? Well, number one, you inherited them. So you can blame it all on your parents, all right? It's their fault. But no, really, I want you to understand that is that you were born that way and you inherited it from your parents and they inherited it from theirs. Why? Because the scriptures teach those things and it's the truth if we were honest, if we were to see the battle and the struggles that all happen in here and the, and the things that, that go on and, and the battle that goes on, as, as Paul would say, the um, the, the, the war that wages within my members, right? But I want you to know that, that you, you inherited a lot of those things, okay? And uh, it's not an excuse, right? Just because you inherited them, that doesn't mean it's an excuse that you can always blame it on someone else. Let me tell you what I, I mean by that. There's some, something about personal ownership that really makes a big difference in finding strength, strength from him to overcome the things he shared with you too. You know, from what they tell me, again, I don't know, but what they tell me, they tell me, they tell me I'm Irish, all right? All right? And that supposedly part of our family, but you know, here in America, we're most, almost everything thrown together, right? But they say, my grandfather is what he told me. And potato famine people, right? We came over to potato famine. But just because, I can't tell you how many people, just because I'm Irish, it doesn't give me an excuse um, to be a drunk. <laughs> How many times have I heard people say that drink too much? Well, you know, I'm Irish. <laughs> you know, and, and then the bumper sticker, I remember I seeing in Savannah, when we lived in Savannah, and that was a big Irish place. Um, we lived in Savannah, the bumper sticker, it said that God created whiskey so that the Irish wouldn't take over the world. So there's this stigma that goes along with them, or being, or losing your temper. Uh, you know, I'm Irish. Okay, no, 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 no. You maybe have inherited part of that, but it's your fault. That make sense? It's time to take personal responsibility. It's not someone else's fault. Yes, you maybe inherited it, but it's your fault. You carry it. And I found the people who can be honest enough to look at themselves, like what we've been talking about in the past weeks. That's huge. Now, so number one, that's the first place. Number two that it comes from, sort of I'm called circumstances. There are some things that are in your life that are getting the best of you, at least in your heart and in your mind, that are not your fault. That is the truth. In fact, I've read the statistics over, over just abusiveness in our culture and what some of you, just in this room, what some of you have gone through that has been done to you is just wrong. It's awful. It's terrible, right? But I want you to understand that does not have to define who you are. So, Jeff, how do you get through that? Okay, that's what we're, that's what we're talking about. Guys, I'm not talking about just one little thing that these things share with us. It's a whole myriad across the board of how he wants us to live. He doesn't want us to live 
enslaved to anything. That's why Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved to anything. So what happens is, yes, circumstances that you've been put in that are beyond your control, yeah, they're not your fault, but you still have to deal with them, right? It doesn't matter if it's someone else's fault. You still have to deal with them. So how do you do that, okay? But I just want you to know that's where some of the struggles come from. So you've got to identify these things. As you think about this hungering and thirst, you'll see what I mean in just a minute. If you'll just hang with me. Number three are just, just flat your choices. So we have you inherit. Where do these things come from? They, they, you inherited. Number two, they're circumstances that were beyond your control, basically. And number three, sometimes you just have to own it, okay? They're, that was the choice I made, right? That was a choice I made. That was, that, was, that was a mistake. That was whatever calculated. It was whatever it is. It is what it is. I've done it. I, I don't know. I, I've just really gotten to the real honesty part of what it means to be a believer in Christ. Because when you really look as what a church is supposed to be, we're just a bunch of fellow people who are bankrupt in ourselves who are living together to be who God tried to be, who God's called us to be. And you know what happens is those who get judgmental of others usually are ones who have the inability to see themselves. Does that make sense to you? Because when you see yourself, you're not near as judgmental of other folks because you're like, yeah, you know, cause like sometimes somebody will come to me and say, Hey pastor, have you ever struggled with, and they'll name something I'll say, you know, no, I haven't. But just because that one's not my issue doesn't mean I don't have a whole lot of other issues that I beat through that I want to do. So why? Because keeping in touch with that keeps you on the right page. And it keeps you from being, having a judgmental heart and attitude towards others. It's incredible how that works. So, so number one, then, where do those things come from? Number two, what does hunger and thirst mean? Now, this is where it's going to hit the road. This is where we're going to gain traction. You're going to see, well, first of all, what is hunger? Hunger is something that is a, that is a drive that comes up from within, and, uh, and it drives you to let you know, right, okay, it needs to be satisfied, right? Food, right? Food. And it's, it's part of the way you were created. You were created with the need for food. You were created with the need for water, thirst. And it's the way God made it. So, but what is he talking about? This is obviously a metaphor that, that says something else, but it's Matthew chapter five, verse six. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it goes on to say, for they will be filled or they'll be satisfied. So, so what happens then when we, when we start making, when we start looking to satisfying these needs, Right? when they were never meant to be who we were. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. So, so when, we, when, we, when we put all these together, what does it mean then to hunger and thirst? It's, it's the things that you put inside of in us, right? And how you meet those needs has a whole lot to say about who you are, right? You also have appetites, but do you know you can also create appetites? in your life? Sure. And the appetites that you create are that you kill, right? There are also appetites you have in your life that say, no, I'm not going, nope, you cut that one off. 
The appetites you create and kill tell me a whole lot about who you are. It's an amazing thing how that what we start pouring into our life, we create an appetite. Now, the metaphor of food and water is something that Jesus used often because Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? So he's talking about something more than physical bread. He says, I am the living water. So he's talking about something more than, than just water. But we were created with those needs and to have those needs quenched. And so Jesus said, I am the one that has come to quench the deepest needs of who you are. And if you turn to me in those, or if you put your faith and trust in him, it says, you'll be filled, satisfied. That's an amazing promise. That's why we've been taught. This is what we've been talking about. And yet people... People create all kinds of appetites in their lives. Let me give you, let's just use the, 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 the food example here, or we could use the water one. Let's just use the food one. All right. What happens is, is that that appetite is there. But when you make that filling, that appetite, what you're about, I'm, I'm here telling you, you, you will create a monster. Let me tell you what I mean. All right. When it becomes, okay, when you not only satisfy that appetite, but you start going overboard, then what happens is your appetite grows. Does that, am I making sense? Physical appetite. Now this, this can go across the board in everything. But let's just use this one for a second. And then before you long, before you long ago, this thing gets so big that you can't, you can't even quench it. You can't even fill it. Why? Because it was never designed to meet that need in here. Does that make sense to you? And people do that with, that's why they use this stuff with alcohol or drugs or whatever, because what happens is you dump these things into your life and the need just gets bigger. And the more you dump, the bigger the need before, before long, you've got a problem, a real problem. And now it's got its hooks in you, right? <laughs> Let me give you another. Just, I know it's getting a little heavy. Let's make it a little lighter. All right. All right. Let me give you one of mine. All right. Right now, I'm not bad. I'm, not, I'm okay. I'm in recovery. All right. But I have this thing for ice cream. I always have. And, um, and again, okay, I know this is silly, but it's a great illustration. It's a great illustration. Right? But I, I've always had this thing for ice cream. And... Um, and <laughs> I, I, I either got to have it, I either got to have it all or can't have it at all. All right, if you understand what I'm saying. But what happens is, um, I, we usually eat dinner around 6, 6.15. At, at somewhere around 8.53. <laughs> it's not right now. I'm good right now. But the refrigerator starts calling out my name, right, the freezer part to the left. And it's like, at first you say, no, 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 not going to do that tonight. Not going to do that tonight. And then, you know, by 8.57, you, you get up and you go and, and, and it's incredible how it works because the more, more you eat of it, then it creates a, an appetite. And if you do it several nights in a row, you're hooked. 
Y'all know, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And this is, Jeff, this is silly. No, it's not. It's this thing, it's this little illustration that's everything. What is it that you go to for the fix to be filled, right? And for me, that's worse than cocaine. For me, ice cream. I've never tried cocaine, by the way, but it's worse, right? Because, I mean, I go out there, and then if it, 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 you know, when it's really got its hooks in me, and I'm, I'm eating it, I mean, I start having nightmares and sweats. Okay. They say confession is good for the soul, but you guys are looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. But remember this. You say, well, I don't have that problem with ice cream. I'm not talking about ice cream. It's not the ice cream's fault. It's, it's a problem with me. Right? It's the, what is that? What is the, the, again, I don't need to pass laws against ice cream. I don't need to put the ice cream makers in jail. Why? Because it's not their fault. It's my fault. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) Oh my gosh. See guys, this is not, this is not, this is not time to blame everybody. Well, you, I don't have a problem. You have well, if you're honest, I got a problem, or I don't now, okay? But I have come on and off the wagon lots of times in, the, in our marriage, right? And so, and, <laughs> but right now I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And, and, <laughs> and I don't know what it is. It's, it's like, you know, my wife, she can have this ice cream that's no bigger than a quarter and she eats a couple of bites and then puts it up and she might not eat another for two weeks. Okay, well, that's not her issue. Right? We all got different issues. And all of us would say, well, you know, my issue, my issues are not near as bad as yours. So? That's a judgment call you're making to make yourself feel better. You probably then do have more issues if you even make that statement. I hope you hear me. Why? Because... That's why I like to tell people, listen, I may not have an issue in that area. That if you ever come talk to me about something that really bothers you, I say, hey, listen, I may not have the issue in that area, but I want you to know that if I can become a, I can create an appetite for most anything, right? But here's the thought. The appetites you've created in your life, are they really coming through for you? That's the big question. Or... Do you get frustrated and you just switch appetites? Right? Now oh, I gotta find another appetite. Right? Because what happens is you create an appetite and for a while it'll fill you. That's the woman at the well. Like hers was with relationships, dating relationships or marital relationships with men, right? And she kept filling, she kept trying to fill, she kept trying to fill, and just it 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 just it just it just left her thirsty. If you just read the story, John 4 is incredible looks at this woman and says, listen, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. And Jesus exposes to her, hey, listen, are you thirsty? Do you realize how thirsty you are? Do you re- can you even see it? It's incredible to think about. So hungering and thirsting, creating appetite. So it says here, number two, is how do you hunger and thirst? Well, basically the thought here is hungering and thirsting for what? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That is, you can make good habits too. That is, you can create good appetites. In fact, the scripture says righteousness. Basically, that is to find your needs in him. 
Obviously, we, we, Romans, we talked about this last week, we stand in Christ's righteousness if we put our faith and trust in him. So we're, we're complete in him, even though we're still in the process of getting there. And so there comes this great picture then of, of creating the right appetites in your life. You know, the discipleship groups I do with men have done through the years, the one thing I've always tried to do is establish a time that men or women, if you do a group, to spend time with God every day. 15, 20 minutes, just spend time in his word, pray a little bit. And, and I take you through this course and I tell you, listen, and I show you how to do it. And, and I ask you every week, I said, how many days a week did you spend with the Lord this week? And at first people will say, because I mean, it's amazing how your flesh will battle against that. Sometimes they'll tell me one or two week, days, right? I don't say anything. I don't say, oh, that's terrible. You know, I, I, I've just learned just to ask. And um, because you want to know what spiritual warfare is, just try to start a time with the Lord every day. And everything will battle against it. I dare you to try. Right? I dare. I mean, you can set the same time every day to watch a television show, no problem. But setting that one, that's when the battle begins. It's an incredible thing to think about. So anyway, so, and I'll ask. And then after a while, you know, a few weeks into it, I start going around asking everybody, hey, how'd it go this week? I got seven. I got seven, seven, seven. Okay, let's move on. And it takes about 40 days. And then I found if I can create that habit, that appetite in men's lives, that's what I do. In my, it's one of my greatest things I do in a discipleship group is creating that appetite. When you miss, you will actually have a craving that you've missed it. Does that make sense? It's harder to create good appetites. It takes nothing to create bad ones. Right? It's like upstream, downstream. How much paddling does it take to go downstream? Zero. Just hop in the, hop in the current and down you'll go. But you're going to have to work to go up, go up, right? It's the same concept. So what Jesus is talking about is, is an appetite, creating those things in your life. Once you've decided to turn your life and will over to him, right? That's blessed are the meek. Once you've taken an inventory of some of the things in my life I know need to change, I do not need to allow that to rule me anymore. Then we need to start backfilling them with the things and creating good appetites, right? That's the picture. That's the picture of what today is about. How do you create those? And do you want to create them? And are you willing to go against everything in yourself, screaming, don't do that. Don't give up control of that. It's an incredible thing, you know? It's like exercise, too. I, I give you a hundred of them. Like when we'd work out for, when I played sports. You know, at first, when you first get started, it's like going to the dentist. You know, it's like, Lord, I don't want to go out and run. I don't want to go out. You know, I'm going to be so sore. I just can't. I can't. I don't want to. You become this whining person, right? But then if you get a, if you get a few weeks in, your body will crave it, won't it? If you're a runner and you miss, your body craves it. It's like, you say, that's sick. I know. I know. But your body craves it. Why? Because you've created 
an appetite. So what does it say? Have one of the most wonderful beatitudes of all of them. Start creating appetites in your life that are good, that point to who he is, and you will find what you're looking for. Right? You'll be filled, satisfied. Wow. That's incredible stuff if you really think about it. And let me tell you, one of the greatest, one of the greatest lights coming up on the Christmas season, right? Jesus is the light of the world. One of the greatest lights you can be to this world is someone who's learned to live in freedom from some of the appetites that this, that this world can't get away from. Guys, the sexual appetite. Man, let's get where, where some of you may be. I want you to understand the sexual desire is there and it is there to be filled and it is there to be enjoyed. Some of you are writing it down. Now, what was number two, Jeff? All right, okay. But, but God obviously has some thoughts about that. He created it. But when you make that your goal, some of the most empty people I've ever met are those who have fed that appetite until that appetite is ravenous in their life, mainly men, not only men. And guys, when your mind gets out of control there, when that appetite gets out of control, well, we all know what that looks like. But you see that in our culture. And they laugh and they joke about, oh, you guys are so prudish. Yeah, but how's that working for you? Right? 24-7 pornography, anytime you want it. How's that working? How's that look? It turns into the, and I'm not judging you guys. Don't hear that, or girls, because they're saying that's a fast growing. Girls, that part is, 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 is growing. But if this fits, then just wear it. Let me tell you something. That is not a road you want to go down. Because it ends, it ends in so much emptiness. You know, nobody told us that. I hear you. I'm telling you. Not because I'm keeping you from something, but because I don't know what there is about the way the sexual relationship was made, but it can either, it can either be incredibly unifying or amazingly destructive in a person's life. I don't know why it is that way, but it is. Okay? I don't have to know why. I just know that it is. And when you head those roads and create those appetites, it's an amazing thing. It becomes all-consuming in a person's thought life, this whole sexual thing. I've met men, I've met guys that literally, even those who work in ministry, you can tell they've got a problem because everything's a sexual joke. Everything is something, everything has a, even when you misspeak something, they make something sexual out of it. Why? Because their appetites are out of control. It dominates them, Right? And guys, it's not just that area. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. That's why, <laughs> that's why I said, all things are lawful. Yeah, Paul said, but I will not be mastered by anything. Why? Because he set me free. And I'm supposed to live that way and not be caught up where all these things have their hooks in me. Right? So some of you may say, well, that one, that one doesn't, is not my issue. I hear you. I mean, not everybody's issue is everybody's issue, but all of us struggle in here. All of us do. It's just, it's the battle that goes on inside, you know? And no matter how much we try to dress up the outside like the Pharisees did, 
okay? When you strip all of the facade away, it's still dealing with this person in here. Okay. I think you got it, all right? I think you got the picture. But you choose the appetites, right? You choose the appetites. Interesting. All right, number three, final one. It says, how do, you, how do I change? Jeff, okay, you, you got my attention. How do you get these things? How do you get these things that have their hooks in you? Or how does that happen? What, well, you know, it's not easy. Because guys, girls, when I say guys, I mean guys and girls, right? Right? It's like, <laughs> it's like how do you, how do you slow down an appetite that's out of control, all right? Okay, well, let's take a look. Number one, you have to make a clean break, all right? You got to make a clean, clean break from wrong thinking and bad influences. Now, let me, let me tell you what I mean. All right, here we go. All right, let's say, this is something we all understand, and it's, and it's not near as heavy, all right? Let's say that you decided to go on a diet, a food diet, right? And because you've allowed, okay, you, you decide, okay, we're going to make some changes, right? And I've decided to, well, the first thing you have to get is the appetite under control. You're saying, Jeff, why do we have to talk about this? I hear you. I'm with you. But just, I want you to understand. I want you to get how this works. So if you want to lengthen your life, go on a diet because it makes days seem like an eternity. <laughs> All right? How is it when you're on a diet, you're like, oh, Lord, when did I eat last? I got two more hours. It's not fun and it's not easy, breaking an appetite in your life. And I'm not just talking food. I'm just using that because it's a little more benign. Do you know what I'm saying? So breaking that appetite, everything inside you will scream. Everything inside you will go, no, what are you doing? Right? It's just the way it works, right? It's the way it works. So, but then after a while, it'll lose its hooks. But the first is the worst. That's why I told you that now's the time. Right? Because if you say, Jeff, you raised some interesting points. I'm going to have to think about this. Well, forget it. You'll forget it. Because you leave out of here and then you'll say, well, you know, Jamboree's this week. You know, corn fritters and all of that stuff. <laughs> and so maybe this week is not a good time to start the diet, right? And then, you know, and then Thanksgiving's right around the corner. You know, and then there's Christmas holidays. Golly, I mean, that's impossible. So maybe after the first year, it's, it's just the way it works. <laughs> I, I think you're getting what I'm saying. I just want you to hear it. I just want you to understand it. Because I want you to know that he's promised to give you the strength to overcome whatever appetite might be getting the best of you now. That is what this series is about, right? Strength to overcome. He's promised. You say, Lord, this one's yours. I'm not going to let this one. First of all, you have to be honest. I'm not going to let this one dominate me anymore. God, it's yours. And you start walking toward him, right? You start putting good appetites in your life, spending time with him, spending time with his people. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice. What is that? Lord, I'm yours, right? And all that goes with it, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. 
anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you know God's will, God's perfect will. It's an incredible thing to think about, of what does it mean to make clean breaks in directions. You know, that also means people. Some of you may have people in your life that are not good, but they're, they're like a, an appetite uh, that you need, to get, you need to cut them out of your life, but it just sounds so wrong, but it's not. I remember one time a guy, he'd been a believer, I don't know, about six to eight months, and he was trying so hard, but he kept messing up. One time he ended up in jail, and, uh, and finally I found out in his life that he had this friend that he was extremely loyal to. When I say in jail, it was just over something. I've forgotten exactly what it was, but it wasn't like he was going to spend major time in, in, in prison. So but I went to visit him, and, and finally it got down to is that every time he was around this friend, he got in trouble. Every time. And I looked at him, and I said, I said is your relationship with the Lord important to you? He says, he says Jeff, you know it is. I just messed up. I said, I, I hear you. I said, but you're going to have to cut, cut ties with that friend. And then he looks back at me. Listen to this. He looks back at me and says, I can't do that. He's my best friend. Y'all are not getting it. What he told me was this friend has its hooks in him. It's an addiction just like anything else. I mean, how can this be a friend if the reason you're in jail is because of him, right? And yet you can't see it. It can be blinding. So what does it mean making clean breaks? Well, it can be painful, right? Number two, you have to refill, okay, with the right things, right? Again, you have to start creating good appetites, right? But it's incredible when those appetites start, yeah, when they start really kicking in, it's pretty amazing. All right, number three, uh, focus on only one thing at a time, right? Right? Focus on only one thing at a time. What do I mean? Well, what happens is, is that, if you say, search me, oh God, right? And, and you come up with 25 things, <laughs> you can get frustrated and just say, well, this is hopeless. It's kind of like that great story in the Bible with Nehemiah on the wall. Nehemiah got real discouraged about the wall because he looked out and he saw all the rubble. But when he got started, well, he didn't, he didn't focus on everything. He focused on his section, the section he, he, he had, and, and he got it. And then he moved to the next section, right? But if you get focused on everything, you, it'll just, it'll kill you. Number four, number four, all right? Uh, focus on just one day at a time. You know, I love it when Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, he said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say weekly, monthly, yearly. It's every day. So just focus on today, right? It's like a diet. I kind of can't worry about, you know, in, in two months it's going to be, Christmas, I, I have to worry about today, right? Again, that's simplistic, but I want you to see it today. Number five, focus on God's power, not your own. Because when you look at something like that, you can say, oh, I can't do that. I've tried a million times and I've failed a million times. Yeah, but the difference is, Lord, I'm giving this to you. And you've promised to give me the strength to do it. Philippians 4, I can do all things through him. Maybe this is the first time you've ever understood that verse. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. If you commit it to him, he'll give you the strength. He promises to do, do that. Number six, focus on facts and not feelings. 
Some of the hardest things to overcome are the feelings that are going on inside. They have nothing to do with facts or truth. It's just how you feel. And they'll scream at you. I've told you this before, but I just love it. You know, at nighttime, I can be feeling, God, I just, I just can really feel your love for me, your acceptance of me. Okay? Then I can go out to eat and go to a Mexican restaurant. And then wake up the next morning and say, or it feels like you hate me. <laughs> what has changed? Nothing has changed. Only my feelings. Right? Nothing has changed. But boy, everything inside of me is telling it me it's different. That's why you need good friends in your life who will tell you, no, 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 no. You're just, you're just, you're feeling going haywire. You'll be fine. Just ride it out. You'll make it. It's incredible how that works. Number seven, which is get the right people in your life. First thing, though, you have to get the wrong people out of your life. Because it doesn't matter how you have the right people in your life, you still got the wrong ones there. You're going to eventually stop listening to the right ones. Isn't that amazing how that works? You know, you do better making, you know, flipping a coin, making decisions, right? Getting the right people in your life. Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron. It's incredible. Think about it. Guys, these are solid thoughts, you know? We'll talk about them. Things that are going to happen. I call this things to learn, but things will happen if you start going this direction. It'll be a process and not a one-time thing. But you can't, I keep going back to the diet, but I know it's one thing everybody understands. After one day, you can't say, I hadn't lost any weight. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to take some time because that's what habits do. Number one, your relationship with God will begin to fill, begin to fill that empty place in here. And when that happens, I just want you to get a taste. Because when you find out what he says to be the truth about you and you experience it, that'll keep you rolling. But you've got to just get there long enough to have a taste. Right? Number two, struggles that you've always had will begin to have less and less control over you. That's when hope springs alive. You're like, I never, I never realized that because we'd so identified ourselves with whatever this issue was, we didn't realize what, 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 what happens when this begins to loosen its grip. And it will, because God's promised to give you the strength. Which number finally is number, number three. Change that you thought impossible will start to become a reality in your life. And guys, at Christmas time, we talk about Jesus is the light of the world. And when he starts being a light through you is when these things start happening. Because see, our world doesn't, our world doesn't understand finding your contentment in him. All they understand is appetites, right? And so much money is spent in our culture on advertising towards your appetites, right? Feeding your appetites. But when somebody is not ruled by them, you become light. It is an awesome thing to think about. All right? God bless you. We'll continue on this series.